0: Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1pm Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv wanderingdms, or youtube.com wanderingdms live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Dan. And today on Wandering DMs, we have Mr. Justin Alexander of the award-winning Alexandrian Blog. And also, he's with Atlas Games. And Justin is a writer and a designer and a blogger and a DM and an actor and an all-around Renaissance man. And Justin, thank you so much for joining us kind of at short notice today.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really glad I was able to to make it happen.
1: uh paul uh what's gonna happen at the uh what's gonna happen right after we get done today oh,
0: oh yeah as as usual sorry i'm i'm a little thrown <laughs> hi everybody uh I'm, I'm coming to you to today from uh the not so sunny california coast uh wandering a bit so i'm a little off my game apologies um uh, of course, uh, yeah, at the end of the show, we will do our usual um, after-party chat on our private Discord for patrons. So if you're interested in joining that, please pop over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Uh Join the Patreon at any level, and you'll get access to our private after-party chat.
1: One of our favorite parts of the week, actually. So what... This is the craziest week in D&D that I've ever seen, right? And when we, when we, when we logged off last week, we said it's going to be, you know, we know that there's a, a supposed deadline coming on Friday the 13th and stuff's going to happen. We don't know what it is. So as the, as the briefest of recaps, if anybody hasn't been following this D&D news, uh, there was this supposed contractual deadline from Wizards of the Coast on Friday the 13th that passed. They did not release a new license or officially deauthorize the old open gaming license. Uh, they had a release on DD Beyond Friday that said, we rolled a natural one on this attempt and walked back a couple, apparently said they're going to walk back a couple of the things they were trying to take away, but not walk back deauthorizing the OGL. And in the last week, to my understanding, there's been over 500 videos on this topic on YouTube, with over 10 million views, and it's been covered by major news sites like MSN, CNBC, The Guardian, Forbes, Financial Times, stuff like that. So on, on top of you know every gamer company, comic book, video game, you know everybody in, in the entire related industry has all commented on this. So Justin, what is your what is your top? Where are we today? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, yeah, so yeah, it, it's been wild. And like, it really started just before Christmas for me. Cause like Watsy issued their original press release. It feels like 3000 years ago now being like, there's this new thing coming. There's going to be some royalties attached to it. We can't tell you much more than that. And then of course, Linda Kodega breaks their story with the actual like leaked text and then the leaked text comes out, which reveals that there's a lot more than just royalties involved. And I find it useful, like, just to like, for people who aren't familiar with what's going on, like you've got this open gaming license. It's been around for 23 years. It not only allows people to like make products that are compatible with D and D under this license, but it also gives you access to all the open game content that everybody else using the license chooses to put under it. So things like green Ronin's Freeport setting, for example, that was placed under the OGL way back in 2000. Other people can make adventures set in Freeport because of the open game license. And the big bombshell to my mind is the fact that Wizards said, hey, in the leaked documents, they said, hey, we're going to deauthorize that license. We've we found this legal loophole that we think will totally fly, um, that will allow us to not only like move our own products away from the OGL, but make it so nobody else can use it at all. We're gonna scorch earth it, we're gonna burn it to the ground. Um and and, and, that, and that's the real trash to me. Is like you know, if Wizards of the Coast wants to move on, um that's that's their choice. It's maybe not like a great choice, but the decision to try and like burn down the creative commons behind them as they go so that nobody else can benefit from the creations of thousands and thousands of creators who are not Hasbro, who are not Wizards of the Coast. That's an act of like cultural vandalism. And that's the thing that like, for me as a creator, as this Renaissance man, like you put it, if I can borrow your pat on my back. Like that's the thing that outrages me more than anything else. As someone who has worked with the OGL since the very beginning and has has very conscientiously when I've created things under the OGL, you know, put creative content into that creative comments that other people can use them under the terms of the open license. And so for creators like me, and like I say, there's thousands of crazy, like mo- most people really focus on the idea that like, oh, it's the license that lets you use wizards SRD that lets you make these things. And yes, the SRD is important. It's a bedrock, sure. But it is this tiny, 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 tiny sliver of the total amount of open content that has been created under the open gaming license. And that that to me is the thing that really is is awful. We can talk about the other things that are also awful about the leaked document and what they're planning, but that for me is the big one.
1: I think that's a really good point, and I and I feel that like that has been over. I, I'm actually surprised how little that has been touched on in the conversation this past week, because you've got the OGL, which is the license, kind of like the GPL for software people, that's that says you, you attach this to a work, and then other people can use it. But then you have the SRD, which is specifically what Wizards has released. Of like, here are the pieces of D and D that we agree on both sides. You can use, and a lot of people, I think, conflate the two, conflate OGL and SRD as the same thing. But I've been wondering, like, how many publishers and how much content has been released using the OGL that's totally disconnected from the SRD, and has anybody given any thought to how that stuff is going to be affected if Wizards claims that they've deauthorized the OGL.
2: Absolutely, and there's actually quite a bit. I mean, there's no way to actually know how much stuff has actually been created, right? And some of this is even stuff like, yeah, I mean, like the Freeport setting created by Chris Pramus for the Death in Freeport adventure way back that was released the same day as third edition D&D. That setting is connected to or based on like the SRD in some sense, but it also exists completely independently of that. So it depends how you count this. But there's stuff that like, if you look, like the open gaming license requires you to put in your copyright notice of the license that you print in your book, it requires you to put all the sources of open game content that you have used. And there's a ton of uses of this license over the years that don't list anything by Wizards of the Coast other than the license itself in that copyright declaration. So, for example, one example this is at, at Atlas Games, uh, we took our game uh, Over the Edge, which was designed by Jonathan Tweet, coincidentally, one of the co designers of third edition D&D, um, and we we took the, this, the system for Over the Edge and we placed that under, under the open gaming license, um, under the name of the Warped Systems, that anyone could take the sort of mechanics of that and make their own products under it, under an open license. And we don't know necessarily, I mean, it really depends on exactly how big is the land grab that Hasbro attempts, assuming they attempted it all at this point, there is pushback, right? And their last mm-hmm. press release on Friday, seem to step back a little bit, but not all the way. And this is, this is really important. I am paraphrasing here. I don't have the exact words in front of me, but they're personally said something like, we just want to reassure everyone that already existing 1.0 content won't be affected. Well, that's a little reassuring. It means that we can keep selling the things that we've already created or distributing anyway, it doesn't just involve selling. We can just continue giving away. The things that we've placed under the license but it doesn't allow us to use the license the way it is designed to be used which is to continue creating new works using the warp system uh and so forth and like that that to me is still not where we need to be on 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 hasbro's position with that so
1: amazing and i think we've had you know it's so interesting all these connections i think we've had jonathan tweet on the show in the past someone can remind me if i'm mistaken about that i've been i've talked to him at least at least once and i can't remember if it was publicly on the show or not so yeah all this kind of great work and um that has been you know explicitly right in addition to it just being written in the original ogl that has been explicitly the commentary from all the people that created it from ryan dancy and brian lewis i believe the lead attorney that wrote the ogl originally uh monty cook who was there um they have been consistent for 23 years and they've had it on the wizard's website i believe that you know ryan's commentary back in the day has been sitting on the wizard's website up until this week when wizards finally took it off saying that yes absolutely anybody can take this com- content and and you know publish their own player's handbook if they want to um so a, a remarkable reversal think, in this way
2: say, the, the, the revocability stuff the the text that says we, we cannot revoke this i think that text actually got taken off like off their official page uh back in mm-hmm. november and then you're right they've continued up until this week like going through the vast archives of their website trying to basically rewrite history and purge as much of that history as possible uh in an effort to to do this this legally dubious i think it's really important to point out too is that like what they're doing is legally dubious um and anyone who tells you that like what they're doing is like a legal slam dunk is is not being completely honest that's really not how the law works like to some extent like when you start doing legally dubious things like this until it actually like gets tested in court there's no one you can say with 100% surety that you know what is true, right? So,
1: and I'll repeat what we said. I think last week uh, I came in and I said none of us on the show here are attorneys. Uh, we're not. We're not lawyers. We don't have legal degrees. We're certainly not your lawyer. This is not legal advice. Uh, we're just people that read English. Um, and the we, we certainly have seen a lot of videos from trained lawyers on YouTube. And some people kind of go in both directions on this. I've seen, I believe, the um, the creator of the Adventure Conqueror King system, who I believe is a trained attorney. His take is that probably wizards can do this, as as truly. I think his I think his blog was like this traitorous backstab. He thinks they will be able to get away with it. Many other people think otherwise. Uh, personally, I agree with you, Justin that the 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 comments that wizards have been writing like some of the sentences just don't seem coherent to me like they just they their attempts at wiggling around this are just just seem incoherent to me and to be clear again the original license said it was perpetual um it said you can you can continue to use any authorized version of the license forever is what it said Um, and it didn't say one way or the other about it being revocable. So, um, the specific thing that Wizards is trying to dance into is this word authorize and they're trying to claim they can deauthorize it when that was never part of the license in the first place. So that that seems uncharted
0: territory.
2: There's so many layers to this because like, so there's, there's the, the legality of the open gaming license in general and how that license works. But then there's a whole related thing too which is how copyright and role-playing games work at all and then it further gets complicated by the understanding some people have about what is and is not under the open gaming license so like there's a whole body of commentary which revolves around hey what is the legality of what what is the actual copyright protection of the mechanics of a role-playing game and immediately you get into okay well when you say mechanics of a role playing game what are you talking about are you talking just about like the dice roll and the addition of a skill bonus, and then compared to a difficulty class. Yeah, that's probably a game mechanic. Again, not a lawyer, but probably not protected by copyright. Are you talking about a specific stat block with abilities that have lengthy text that are also filled with descriptions of what those mechanics represent? Well, maybe that's a game mechanic and therefore not protected by copyright but at some point maybe you have transitioned into into that like an analogy i like to use is sort of the jedi test if you want to think about this in a way which is that imagine that there's a a star wars board game that has jedi in it which there are do you believe that the existence of that board game means that you can put jedi in your own board game or in your own role-playing game and the answer is probably not right like that's probably not the way the law is meant to work. It's probably not the way the law actually does work. And Disney would probably fight really hard if somebody was like, yeah, you made a game with Jedi in it. So anyone can use Jedi now. So that is sort of the line. There's clearly a point at which like things can go into a game, uh, the copyright office, the U S copyright office refers to that as, um, the literary expression of a game. And the question is when you talk about a game like D and D where it's also filled with a bunch of like generic fantasy stuff, but also some stuff that isn't generic fantasy stuff. Where is that line? So there's that whole there's that whole discussion and with people who have very strong opinions from one end to the other. Um and so there's all of that. And then you get to the actual license and you have what are actually two different things that tend to get conflated. And one of those is does Hasbro have the right to just unilaterally revoke the license? And so that's one whole debate that revolves around do you need to have the word irrevocable in the license to not let Hasbro be able to unilaterally revoke the license and that's a complicated question and again not a lawyer so i'm not going to try to like pontificate on the details of that but the one thing i will note as a layperson looking at the situation is that if you look at the leaked if you look at the both the press releases from wizards at this point and also the leaked text of the 1.1 version of the license which again has not been officially released mm-hmm. in neither one of those does wizards claim that they're going to revoke the license or say that they are revoking the license. Mm -hmm. So to some extent that whole debate to my mind, at least at the present time of whether or not they have the legal right to unilaterally revoke is currently irrelevant, not only because they haven't released the OGL 1.1, but even if they had, they wouldn't be claiming they could revoke the license. So all that seems like a sideshow to me. And to some extent, the fact that like, it seems clear to me that if they could just unilaterally revoke it or believed that they could unilaterally revoke it, their attorneys would Mm -hmm. just do it. Right. And the fact that they Mm -hmm. aren't feels feels like a tell to me as a, as a lay person, right? Mm-hmm. But then the third thing is this authorized language like you talk about. And this revolves down right. to Clause 9 of the OGL 1.0A. You know what, I'm gonna open that in a window just to make sure we get the- Yes, 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 totally.
1: We had, we had right. one piece of criticism last week that we weren't directly reading it. So we're gonna fix that today.
2: <laughs> so this is, so this, is, this is Clause 9 of the Open Game License version 1.0A. And it says, updating the license, Wizards or its designated agents may publish updated versions of this license. You may use any authorized version of this license to copy, modify, and distribute any open game content originally distributed under any version of this license. And so the first thing to understand is what the intention of that was. And we know what the intention of it was because Ryan Dancy and Brian Lewis, and like you said, many other people have told us what the intention was. And there's two things to this. First off, clauses like this appear in a lot of open licenses. If you look at the Creative Commons license, for example, which is a very common open license, it has similar language saying, Hey, this license may be updated in the future and you can release content under any version of it. And the reason you have that is so that open game content does open content. Doesn't fork because if I update the license to it, well, this is a bad example because Wattsy has, you know, let's go in the reverse. The other reason this clause exists is that. Before version 1.0 of the license came out, which was then revised into 1.0 a with the only difference being that in 1.0, they said trademark and in 1.0 a, they said trademark or registered trademark. So like those are two different versions of the license. And if you didn't have this type of verbiage in it, anyone who published products under version 1.0. Would not legally have the right to use any material released under 1.0a, and a hypothetical future person using, uh, let's say, OGL version 10 in the year 2300 wouldn't be able to use both at the same time. So that's why clauses like that exist, and it specifically exists because there were already, at the time of 1.0a, uh, versions of this license that had been used pre release. Um, there was actually, so like, a bit of a history lesson. As Gen Con 2000, when third edition came out, there were two products that were released the same day as the Player's Handbook from third-party publishers. One of those was Death in Freeport by Chris mm-hmm. Promise through Green Ronin Publishing, and the other was actually published by uh, the company I now work for, Atlas Games, and that was Three mm-hmm. Days to Kill by John Tyne. At the time those products went into development and the time when they were printing and even at the time they were released, the Open Gaming License version 1.0a didn't exist yet. Those companies, Atlas and mm-hmm. Green Ronin and others, we're working directly with Ryan Dancy at Wizards of the Coast to basically get the ball rolling. And so Three Days to Kill was actually published under, I believe if I recall correctly, version 0.02 of the license. Huh. And those licenses were controlled because the way they controlled those was that the modern license, 1.0 and the 1.0A, those are copyrighted by Wizards of the Coast, but the text of the license is placed under the open gaming license. And the requirements of the open gaming license is that you print the license in your book. And so you can do that with 1.0 and 1.0a because the text itself is open game content under the terms of the license. Under the pre-release versions that were used by publishers sort of in a good faith unilateral agreement with MOTC, the text of those pre-release licenses, .02, .03, .04, those were all still copyrighted by Wizards but they weren't made open content. So the only way you could use those was if you had a unilateral agreement with WOTC, which Atlas did, for example, saying you can print the text of the license, which you need to do in order to use the license. It was a way for WOTC to let these companies begin playing with it before they were completely set in what the final language of the license would be. But then, so the function of this clause, I know we've gone the long way around, right? But the (laughs) function of this clause, Like three days to kill and death in Freeport had already been printed and had released content under 0.02 and 0.03 and 0.04 of the license. And so if you didn't have this type of clause in the license, nobody else could use the open content in three days to kill because it was released under a different version of the license. So that's why this exists. Which brings us finally to the, du- the legally dubious loophole that Hasbro has attempted to, is attempting to claim in their unreleased documents, which is that when Clause 9 says, you may use any authorized version of this license to copy, modify, and distribute any open game content, basically Hasbro's lawyers are saying, well, we'll just deauthorize it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've deauthorized the license, then you may use any authorized version means you can't use this deauthorized, unauthorized, no longer authorized version of the license. And the reason why it's legally dubious is A, clearly not the intent, but B, they've invented a right to deauthorize that is not given in the license. So that's the big complicated bullshit. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed.
1: And to be clear, um, you know, that word authorized that they're picking on, you know, unlike. Well, unlike other license, it's not defined in the OGL. It doesn't say what counts as being authorized. It doesn't say what counts as it doesn't say any uh, parameters for deauthorizing it. So that is just stepping off the flying ship plank into open air uh, on what mm-hmm. authorized could possibly mean and entirely uncharted territory with that i will also say just for the purpose of our viewers the reason why we're we're even you know justin was even talking about gaming copyright is that u.s copyright laws as many of us know has one unique thing in the black letter law it's not an interpretation it's not a court case it's that game mechanics are not copyrightable so the you know um, the, the among the major things why the ogl exists is in the in the absence of that, you would have this question, as Justin said, of exactly what counts as game mechanics for a large role playing game, because game mechanics definitely not copyrightable. But where is that boundary line has never been litigated. Basically,
0: Justin, I wonder if you have an opinion on um, I, I you know as much as it's interesting to pontificate about what Wizard is going to do going forward. I feel like a little bit possibly the, the cultural damage has been done. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think I've seen a lot of information coming out about other companies trying to release uh, replacements or alternatives to the OGL, something new going forward that companies can uh, create. And like one of the things that the text that you just read that jumps out at me is that it like it mentions wizards as an entity specifically. And I wonder, do we not need some new license to release new content under that doesn't give any entity
2: a power like that? Well, that becomes complicated because uh, pretty much any pretty much any license that you have is going to have is going to have someone watching over the license, and there's good reasons for that. So again, if you look at like the Creative Commons license, for example, another great open license, yeah, that is controlled by I think the name of the organization is the Creative Commons Foundation. Don't quote me on that exact name, but it's a nonprofit foundation that manages the license. And one of the reasons you want that is because you want to have somebody who can actually update the license in the case of evolving case law. So again, speaking as a lay person, but for example, in 2000, when the open gaming license was published, mm-hmm. the idea that you need to put the word irrevocable into a license in order for it to be irrevocable, wasn't really a thing yet. There was a later court case, which is complicated and not a lawyer, not going to comment on it about whether or not it's actually relevant to the OGL or not. But there was a later court case that made people think, well, maybe that's maybe that there's some danger there so we need to put the word irrevocable into our licenses and so uh the creative commons for example uh, was able to produce a new updated version of the license that was stronger and more robust with the word irrevocable uh in it again like sometimes when people comment they're like oh well that means the ogl 1.0a isn't robust not that's not, not the same thing that's not necessarily true but like whatever the case may be you need may need to update these licenses so that's why somebody needs to be in charge of it which is why among the, among the options people are looking at as an alternative to the OGL um, include uh, the Creative Commons, for example. A lot of publishers saying, hey, look, the Creative Commons exists. We could just use that instead. Um, and there are reasons why that isn't necessarily a perfect fit for role playing games that I could talk about if we really want to get into the nitty gritty of it. But there's also, of course, um, a, an initiative being led by Paizo Publishing, which a number of companies have have joined uh, forces with, including Atlas Games, the company I work for, um, to produce what they're calling the the ORC license. And the key thing about that is although Paizo is kind of leading the charge on that, or like set the ball in motion, the goal is not for Paizo to control that license. The goal is for that license to be controlled by a, a neutral nonprofit third party, specifically to get it out of the hand of anyone who has a commercial interest in the development of the license over time. So. So that's why somebody needs to be in charge of it, but there's probably strong arguments for why the best solution is not for, um, you know, a multi-billion dollar corporation with commercial interest in the content to be the one in charge of the open license for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to be clear, so ORC is an acronym, right? It's the Open Role Playing Creative License, I guess, I think is what PISA was picked, if I recall. Yes, um, that,
2: that sounds right. I, I was not going to venture to remember what the, uh, what the the acronym was but that sounds right to me yeah i mean if
0: i don't want to lead us too da- too far down a, a rabbit hole but i am curious why you think the creative commons is not a not a, a viable i
1: agree with that because I, I i think that's a great question from all because i saw ryan dancy say the same thing say cc does not accomplish what you want for role-playing game and i i didn't see why and i'm also curious about
2: that yeah, we can talk about that a little bit. So, Creative Commons is a great license. Nothing I'm about to say should suggest that there's anything wrong with the Creative Commons. But one of the reasons why it struggles with role playing games is actually some of these copyright issues we were just talking about in terms of why it's so difficult to define copyright in the context of a role playing game. And so, let me start by kind of delving into that just a little bit more, which is that, you know, you talked about it, Dan, which is that, like, under U.S. copyright law, I man, U.S. copyright law is not the entirety of copyright law, right? So, like, Right there, complicated. But under U.S. copyright law, um, you you can't copyright a game mechanic. This has been established law for a very long time. And so, if you take a really simple example of this, imagine that you have a, a deck of playing cards, and you come up with some new rules for a card game that just uses a standard deck of cards, and you write out those rules uh, in a plain text file. Well, most likely, the the actual rules of the game, the actual way of playing that game, is not protected. It is possible that the specific words you use to describe how the game is played may be protected by copyright. There are some exceptions Mm -hmm. to that. Let's not dive that deep down the rabbit hole. But as a very simple example, if I'm just describing something, uh, a mechanical processing in a game that has no, that has no uh, additional text beyond the pure procedure of moving game pieces around or playing typical playing cards on the table, that's probably not protected by copyright. And anyone could describe how to play that game, a game like poker, for example, anybody, if we, if poker wasn't so old, it would not be covered by copyright. Anybody could still describe how to play poker without violating copyright because those would just be pure game. So that's, that's very clear. The reason things get complicated with a role-playing game, for example, is that what the content of a role-playing. Rulebook is not just game mechanics. It is also what, again, the Copyright Office refers to as literary expression. We talked about the Jedi test already and the idea that even though you put a Jedi into a role-playing game, it doesn't mean that, that anybody can now make a role-playing game with Jedi in it because the Jedi are a literary expression. And the real trick you run into with a role-playing game specifically is that it's very difficult to separate literary expression from uh, from game mechanics that can't be copyrighted <clears throat> or, or even game mechanics that you so could be copyrighted, but are placed under an open license. So for example, if you make a star Wars monopoly game, it's probably very easy to separate the literary expression of the star Wars universe from the mechanics of moving around a board by rolling 2d6 or whatever, because like the, the literate expression is just like images and so forth. It's not the actual mechanics of the game, but of course a role-playing game, the mechanics are designed to describe the game world itself. So if I have a body of mechanics that is describing a Jedi, even if I don't call it a Jedi, is some part of that still under copyright? because if we if we take the game mechanics out of it and like i took like a, a star wars novel and just replaced the word jedi with you know laser sorcerer i'd probably still be violating copyright because of all the specific details that tie that to the star wars universe so this is why copyright in role playing games is really complicated and that ignores the fact that copyright in role playing games has never been really tested in court in this way and so again when we talk about like hey, what's the actual answer? Well, lots of people can have different opinions, but until it actually gets settled in court or further codified in law, there's not actually anyone who actually knows for sure what the answer is going to be. And so there's all that complication. Now, why, why is the open gaming license, for example, why does, what tools does it have that make it particularly well-suited for dealing with these complexities of... This the sort of mixing of of game mechanic uh and and closed content and open content that you find in a role-playing game. And basically what it boils down to is that the way the open gaming license works is that there are two so the first thing is that the open gaming license, unlike some other licenses, doesn't just open the whole book. So like if you, if you published a Star Wars role-playing game under it, for example, you wouldn't automatically open everything in the book and make everything open content forever. There's some licenses that do that. They're called infectious or viral. Um, and so that's the first thing. And so the second thing is in the OGL, you have to declare what your open game content is. So you say, for example, you might say, hey, chapter two is open game content. Everything in there is good to use. You can't use anything else. But then the OGL has another tool specifically, which is the declaration of product identity. And product identity can be all kinds of things it can be um, thematic elements, it can be stories, it can be character names, it can be place names, it can be pretty much a, a whole slew of things it can be, but you have to actually declare it in your book. And so if you were making a Star Wars RPG, for example, you might declare your product identity to include things like Jedi for example. And the advantage of that as a tool is that now I can print a a Jedi stat block, for example, and I can just say that whole thing is open content, except for Jedi. And why that's really powerful for a role playing game is otherwise, you could try to accomplish the same thing by making a very narrow declaration of like, well, this section of the stat block is open content, but this section isn't. But in practice, that's really difficult to kind of get around. Okay, so don't declare the Jedi name at the top of the stat block open content, that's fine. But then we have an ability, which is be really good at lightsabers. Okay, well, we don't wanna open lightsabers up, so everything in this text block is open because it has to be, because there's like dice mechanics in there But okay, but not the word lightsaber. So we have to make sure that that declaration excludes the word. So you can see how that gets really complicated really fast. And is also very prone to making, to making mistakes where on page 75, oops, you forgot to exclude that that declaration of lightsabers. And now, oops, accidentally you've opened lightsabers, um, for example. And so that, that is why the open gaming license was very specifically designed for the unique needs of. We're playing games, so you have this close mixture of copyrighted material, IP you need to protect, and IP you don't. And to some extent, the proof is in the pudding. Like from my experience working in the industry, like for example, if you look at actual open license games, like there's an open license, there was an open license Warcraft game, there's an open license Lord of the Rings game coming out, there's a Doctor Who open license game, and I can tell you from my experience that companies that own big IP like that generally will not let you publish things, licensed products, under an open license like the Creative Commons, for example, because the like the danger of us accidentally opening up Doctor Who to anybody who wants to use it is just too high. But that backstop of product identity makes licensed products like that much more likely slash possible at all to exist. And that extends beyond just licensed properties like Star Wars. Like I as a creator also, you know, there's things I create that I'm interested with sharing people with people. And things I create that I want to that I want to be able to protect as my as my creations as well, so it becomes a much more flexible license
1: got it that actually makes a lot of sense that's that's a good explanation thank you for that and someone's pointed out I mean is there's a there's a Disney has a Star Wars uh video game I think Knight's of the Old Republic or something that Knights uses yeah that, that, I, I, I guess I, there's I will, a
2: debate about whether that uses the Ogl or not. Yeah, I I can nip that I can nip that in the bud. Um there's a couple of these memes going around about this and so right. the deal with Knights of the Old Republic for starters is that it it doesn't use the open gaming license. Um Ryan Dancy yeah. and Bill Slavicsick actually came out and said, "Hey, we were there." The way that actually worked is that um back 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 at the at 20 years ago now, Wizards of the Coast published a Star Wars role playing game using the D20 system, the same system that D&D uses, but the Star Wars D20 system didn't use the open gaming license either because of course, Wizards just, you know, owns the D20 system. They don't need to use the open gaming license to use their own material. So the D20 Star Wars system didn't use the open gaming license, but what the, but the Star Wars system did do is that Lucasfilm, when they licensed it to Wizards said, we'll license this to you, you have the right to use it, but we own full rights to everything you create. Um, and the reason for that is that Lucasfilm got into quite a bit of copyright gray area with the old west ends game west end star wars game from the 80s where once the license with west end games ended it wasn't clear that all the copyright for everything that had been created for west end games actually belonged to lucasfilm which is not unusual for licensed products and so lucasfilm was like well we don't know what we can use so lucasfilm was like okay going forward we'd we actually own the star wars universe so the the short version of that is that because of that license lucasfilm actually owned a a license to the D20 system that had nothing to do with the open gaming license and was sublicensable. So when BioWare wanted to use the D20 system for Knights of the Old Republic, they could use their license with Lucasfilm to access the D20 system from Star Wars D20 that. Lucasfilm owned a license. Too. I just confused myself. But, uh, but the <laughs> short version is so like, Knights of the Old Republic didn't, didn't use the OGL. They had a, a different path for that license. The other thing is, even if it had used the open gaming license, there's, there's nothing in anything that Hasbro has released, uh, nor is there any real legal ability for Hasbro to go back and say, hey, things you published under 1.0a 20 years ago, uh, we own the rights to that now, so there was never like a path by which that was going to result in in Hasbro like claiming Star Wars. Another one of these memes that's going around actually does use the Open Gaming License, which is the upcoming Lord of the Rings role playing game from um, uh, from Free League, and that does that will be using the Open Game License hypothetically, unless you know unless things get completely out of whack. Uh, but the trick there is that again, there's no like 1.1 which again has not been officially released, but 1.1 does give Hasbro a license to go in and seize anything you publish, but that doesn't retroactively apply to everything in 1.0 a, unless you, as the publisher, move it into 1.1 yourself. Not a lawyer, layperson. There may be complications of that, but that's the basic version. The other reason that it's probably not really an issue for like, I think middle earth productions, uh, or middle earth enterprises is the company licensing the rights to Lord of the Rings to. Free League to make the role-playing game, is that unless, what I say here? Unless, unless that licensing agreement between Middle Earth, uh, Middle Earth Productions, whatever the name of that company is, and Free League is really badly written, it probably doesn't give Free League the right to sub-license Middle Earth to somebody else. And so even if everything went haywire and Hasbro was like, hey, look, Free League's books on our, ours, Free League wouldn't have actually had the legal right to license to Hasbro under the OGL or any other agreement, the rights to Middle-earth. And so it's extremely unlikely that even in some weird worst case scenario where like Hasbro does somehow have the right to do a thing they probably don't have the right to do, it still wouldn't affect Middle-earth because like they never had the right to do that, if that makes sense. Um, It's funny that that
1: you mentioned that, I'm sorry, it's funny that I'm I'm amused that you mentioned this, this fairly unlikely possibility of sublicing conflict. And look, I, I, I'm not gonna guess, obviously Wizards of the Coast is not gonna get in litigation with Lords of the Ring. But I will say that uh, Paul and I have been at a company where that happened. We, we, when we started working, when I, when I first met Paul, we were at a company that absolutely had that exact dispute happen, is the company uh, um, negotiated by other people uh, got a license, from a major licensor brand. And then there was a dispute from another company saying, you didn't have the right to license that to you because you gave us a license instead. And there actually was a three party debate over that exact issue. I don't know if you remember that, Paul. I'm not saying exactly yep. what it was, but yeah, we we <laughs> have been on site where that absolutely totally happened. So it's not, well, it's not outrageous it's not enough out that in- two thirds of us haven't experienced that. <laughs>
2: What I was about to say, I was about to say, there actually is a famous example of this mistake being made in a way that has had long lasting impact. And that actually is the Star Trek property. Back in the 70s, oh, yes. I think it was Paramount, who went into the time. They licensed they licensed a book called the, um, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it now, the Star Trek um, Technical Manual. Uh, Star- the name of the book. Okay,
1: I was gonna,
2: yeah. Yeah, Starfleet Technical Manual. Yeah. And so this was just a book that was like, it was like a third party, like, look at this cool, like, licensed thing. But the license they gave to the guy who wrote the book. Was, um, was forever irrevocable and also sub-licensable. And so what happened was that somebody noticed this and basically licensed Star Trek as an IP from this, from this Starfleet technical manual. And the result of that today is, um, is uh, Starfleet Battles. Uh, which is like a war game, and uh, there's a role playing game spin off of all that. Because all of that, all of those things, are not licensed directly from Paramount. They're licensed from this 1970s license that they made sublicensable as as a mistake, basically. Um, and so, for the past, I guess, 40 years, not 50 years now, basically, um, there's been this whole alternate alternate version of Star Trek that all that all deviates from this 1970s <laughs> technical manual. Um, and continues to be published today, um, which is kind of hey. kind of cool and kind of amazing. So, I mean, it's not it's not completely impossible that somebody screwed up the license no. to free league and then hypothetically, but it's extremely unlikely, mainly because people in the '70s were like, "Oh crap, that's a possibility. Let's not lose our property like Star Trek did." So, now this is not the kid. Now this is this is not the case that I was talking about. But
1: Paul, at this point, how many Star Trek video games have you worked on?
0: Uh, I've worked on two uh so far three and two it's two two yeah at different yeah. companies both, both featuring at different companies both featuring uh the voice acting of john delancey as it turns out uh yeah yeah I, dan, i'm dan i'm remembering back to the situation you were describing and if i don't if i if i'm remembering correctly the solution to the problem was essentially an acquisition let's let's reduce the number of people yeah. in this argument from three to two <laughs> and there you go
1: Awesome. Yeah. Com- company A gave a license to Company B, and then Company A gave another license to Company C. And B and C are having an argument about whether that was permissible. And finally, B bought C. And now now you're back to just there's only A and B, and that was the end of it. Yes.
2: Uh- <laughs> Paul this is why we're just coders. A liar, just a we're not. Lawyer. We're
1: not right. We're not lawyers. We're not attorneys. <laughs> we're not MBAs. We're not contract negotiators. We were just coding, and we were just like that is wild. And we were, you know, we were actually getting like anonymous phone calls. Like they were calling random numbers of the company, looking for someone to like, you know, looking to fish extra information, crazy, crazy stuff. And then here we are, here we are seeing the same thing uh, in 2023. Um, Just let me ask this. So, so it seems like, uh, you know, Watsi has, you know, again, they said we've rolled a natural one over this. They've walked back at least some date, uh, they're, they're saying now, now they're not even calling their revision 1.1. They're saying it's gonna be OGL 2.0 when we officially release it. Maybe tomorrow is some scuttlebutt, maybe Monday the 16th of January, possibly. In, in your opinion, what, is, what was the critical thing that made them take a step back this week?
2: Well, I don't have any sort of like real privileged information in there, so I'm relying on the same sort of reporting that we're seeing that, that everyone else is able to see. Um, there's been there's been real A class reporting from Linda Kodega, in particular, who originally broke the story. Um, there's a lot of other there's a lot of other people leaking things in various in various ways. Um, it's it's difficult sometimes to judge the reliability of some of that. But there seems to be a pretty consistent sort of reporting from across the board that what really caught Wizards of the Coast attention was people canceling their D and D Beyond subscription. And so, uh, one thing I've been saying whenever I talk about this is, "Hey, your voice is being heard." And and if you are upset by the by the cultural vandalism and land grab and basically monopolistic practices of Hasbro uh, in this regard, like you you can make your voice heard. And this is actually a really big difference. I think this is the the one big difference between today and back in 2008. We haven't really talked about 2008. So back in 2008, Hasbro decided to release the fourth edition of D&D and they also walked away from the OGL back then. They didn't try and burn it to the ground back then, that was the big difference, but they did walk away from it. Um and they published a new license called the Gaming System License or the GSL. And um, if i could interrupt the,
1: just for a second they they, uh, they they actually did momentarily it was just like a hot week they actually did try to revise the um the 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 uh, the open gaming license again there is they there still is well i guess it's on the Wayback machine you can find their announcement that we're going to have a new edition fourth edition srd uh-huh. we're going to have a new open gaming license and it seemed like they were in a state of confusion for about a week and then they stepped away from that and they came out with the gsl you're talking about
2: um yeah the, the one thing to know was that is that they, they had talked about doing a new ogl um they hadn't talked about this sort of deauthorization thing where like the old version of the license would go away um so the new material would have been under new terms which eventually did under a new name but there was no like burn everything to the ground nobody else could use the old stuff as well um and and so the difference then is that back in 2008 there, there were internet forums and the like but what was lacking was that wizards did not have a direct sort of financial um window into uh like real-time financial feedback from their from their fan base saying don't do this um D beyond gives them real-time metrics of people canceling their subscriptions and that seems to have made at least some degree of difference um i i am not uh I am not overly optimistic on how much difference that has made I I know some people went in and read and read the um and, and read the press release and I, I think the press re- the, the press release they issued on Friday uh basically said we're not going to do the royalties after all and like my case was always like man that completely broken royalty system that you were proposing in the leak that was like and i even leaked that was actually one of the things they publicly announced a month earlier in December that, that loyalty thing in the leak was like the fifth or sixth, or maybe even seventh worst thing you were doing. So like being like, <laughs> the, the analogy I use was like, Watsi comes out and they're like, okay, we're going to burn your house to the ground and steal your car. And everyone goes, Whoa, wait, what? And then they come out on Friday and they say, okay, okay, we agree not to steal your car. I think we can all agree that we both won here. And I'm like, but what about the burning house? <laughs> Someone called the fire department. <laughs>
1: Someone pointed out what, That was a great observation when I first saw that from you Someone pointed out you know, the, the, the very end of the Thor Ragnarok movie Ends with that exact joke Ends with that exact joke of the tyrant Being uh, uh, Played by Jeff Goldblum uh, Being captured by the giant angry mob And going, uh, we can, let's call this a tie Good job, good job everybody
2: yourself <laughs> on the we'll, we'll call it a draw
1: That's exactly how that movie ends And here we are, they're doing totally that
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel uh, that the people who, the people on the ground, the designers at Watsi who didn't ask for this, even the PR people who are being forced to issue and try and come up with statements that provide some sort of positive spin to one of the most heinous acts I've seen in the history of the gaming industry. I, I, I feel nothing but sympathy for those people and, and what they're having to go through as a result of some really bad decisions by the decision makers at Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro.
1: Uh, Linda Cadega, that you've said has just done amazing reporting on this has, has made a good point that, you know, the people that are providing her with information are really putting their livelihoods at risk. They're at great risk of uh, being fired, losing their livelihood, uh, you know, being in court over NDA issues or something like that. And they are really putting their necks on the line for the greater good of the gaming industry. And we really, everybody has been consistent on the point you just made, Justin, that the people in the front line that care about the game, um, their hearts are in the right place. And mm-hmm. the once again, we've seen this cycle before, once again, the executives that fundamentally don't know what gaming is are are running the ship in a, in a, in a different direction.
2: I yes, would say so, uh, I just want to do one quick thing, and this, this is not meant as a criticism anyway, it's just Linda talked to me about this person, I uh, mentioned this to me as well, which is that Linda's pronouns are actually they, them, and there's actually been a very common mistake to misgender her, as, uh, I just did it, to misgender them See? as yeah. her, I was trying to say. Um, so I, I, since so we have a platform here, I, I, that's something that's, that many people are just doing completely unintentionally, and I think it's a good time for all of us just to be like, you know, when you're talking about Linda, try to respect those pronouns for them.
1: If I just misspoke, I apologize. I was trying I, yeah, no, I like, like think this is a good opportunity over here. Yeah. Uh <laughs> to, really yeah. great point. Thanks for that. Let me let, let, we probably have just a couple minutes left. So we've seen a number of companies say if this, you know, deauthorization happens, we're just out of business. And we've seen the white hack mod get pulled at least for a while. I think I've seen Frog God Games say we're just gonna have to lay off 70 employees. So where we stand today, what what do you think the 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 general prospect is for Atlas Games going forward? What's the response going to be?
2: Well, Atlas Games is Atlas Games is mm-hmm. the the people you're talking about are in, a, in an incredibly bad situation, and I feel I feel horrible for the situation that they are in. Atlas Games is fortunately not in that situation. Uh, Atlas Games has been publishing uh, open game content since like i say from the very first day literally the first day back in 2000 with three days to kill um we have a current project that we kickstarted uh recently called Plangia, geo which is a fifth edition stone age fantasy setting uh that's in fulfillment we don't anticipate at this time that we'll have any difficulties fulfilling that we have taken some emergency action to make sure that's as true as possible so for example we have all the books at press right now but there were some digital only uh adventures that were that were stretch goals and those were in production we've rushed those into layout and released a pdf to backers specifically just to make sure that in the worst case scenario where like we're wrong hasbro makes a big land grab and they do have the right to do so we will have at least completely fulfilled our kickstarter so all that's true for us and it's been nothing but a headache for the last basically a fortnight as we've tried to grapple uh with these issues at this point but atlas games is not just open game content we have um board games and card games we produce uh, the gloom card game for example which is a huge hit in its own right um we've been doing that for 30 years as well uh we also uh we also have a bunch of other great role-playing games we have ars magica by jonathan tweet and mark reinhagen feng shui by robin d laws unknown armies uh by john tynes and greg Stolze. um over the Edge by uh, Jonathan Tweet. We have Magical Kitties Save the Day, uh, designed by Matthew Hansen, with a second edition by uh, Matthew, myself, and Michelle Nephew. Um, so we, we are not, we are not as a company dependent on OGL. We are going to be very disappointed um, if what Hasbro is doing uh, makes it more difficult for us to really uh, do everything we were hoping to do with the really incredibly cool setting of Plangea uh that we that we are in the process of releasing but uh we as a company are going to be okay but like you say, there are other there are other companies out there that are that are just completely adrift and not really certain what's going to happen um, i do think i do think uh complete panic is probably is probably not where you need to be right now like i've seen some companies particularly smaller companies who are panicking and already up, delisting all of their products from online stores yeah. and i just you know that one thing i'll say there is like you know a week from now you may absolutely need to be doing that depending on just how you know litigious hasbro decides mm-hmm. to be but realistically they haven't actually done anything yet so take take action begin begin prepping but like you shouldn't be delisting your products at this point in my in my opinion again um not a lawyer i guess and not, not your business manager obviously um <laughs> but i think the biggest thing is you know keep keep putting pressure on them as fans and as companies um but but if i was in the position i guess atlas games is not i personally have a company that that also self-publishes a number of, of ogl stuff i haven't delisted my stuff either because i you know that's until they actually do something there's no sense going that far with panic there's lots of things we should be doing in terms of you know safeguarding the future these alternative license schemes that people are that people are coming out with that's all important work i'm not trying i, I don't want this coming across like don't do anything it's all fine you know that's not it the, the world is on fire like the world is absolutely on fire um but um but until they actually do something it's hard to know just how bad it will actually be i guess is the we know it's gonna be bad <laughs> i think that's a good point i think for
1: now you got to make your morale check You got to keep your front line stable. Keep your shields interlocked, right? And the most important thing in the game is to not fail your morale check. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, and then that's panic, panic, one hundred percent. You know, but like, uh, try to make sure that you're not don't don't assume that the worst outcome is a foregone conclusion because I don't think it is.
0: Unsurprisingly, uh, the hour has just flown by, and I have to, uh, at this point, call out and ask uh, If there are any any final thoughts uh, from uh, Dan or or Justin about uh, about the OGL or uh, about uh, any of the stuff we've been discussing,
1: I'll give that to Justin. If there's anything, and if there's any major point we we missed so far,
2: I think I think the biggest thing I think we touched on this a little bit is to really understand that like it's there's not just one bad thing about. The new ogl that was proposed by wizards and we don't know what the new ogl will actually end up being it is clearly in a process of revision at this time right but like we know that revoking the old license terrible we know that there was a broken royalty scheme that made it impossible for any company to actually exist we know that they had a license in there that let them like sell all your stuff to anybody they wanted to forever with no recompense to you we know that the new license didn't actually feature any open content it had a broken share alike uh clause that meant that there was no actual open content it was only a license between you and wizards to use what's in the srd and nothing else um it had a unilateral termination clause that meant wizards could terminate it for any reason any time it had a unilateral revision clause which meant that wizards could change the terms of the license at any time so no matter what they actually release as long as there's a unilateral revision clause just assume it's going to be equally terrible six months from now right um There were format restrictions which will actually and so format restrictions were like only books and ebooks but specifically in ways that hurt accessibility to products for people who are suffering from disabilities there's a waiver that you don't have your full legal rights to legally challenge them in court if any of the license terms are you know horrible so like there's this huge laundry list of things and the real thing whatever the final release is whatever the next press release is people should really take a careful look at that and see what are they actually promising? What are they only kind of suggesting that they're promising? And what are they outright just not addressing in any way? Um, Because I saw some people on Friday get really credulous about, oh, well, everything's fine now. And it's like, that's not what they said. Totally agree. Um,
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, um, folks, if you have any thoughts, uh, any prognostications or fears or anything else you want to voice, please leave us some comments in the uh, in the comment section here of the YouTube video. Uh, Let us know what you're thinking and possibly we'll be uh, right back here next week discussing the latest developments.
1: (laughs) We very well might. And remember, if you're new to our Wandering DMs channel, you can like, follow and subscribe to us. We're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And all those social media sites until they burn down at, at some point. Uh, and we do have the handle <laughs> wandering DMs on all those sites. And, you know, if you're not currently following uh, Justin at his alexandrian.net blog, you should do that. You should follow him. He's got the handle the Alexandrian on YouTube. And I believe he's hexcrawl on Twitter. And you should follow him on all those sites.
0: If you prefer to listen to our show in audio only podcast format, you can do so. Those podcasts are available on our website at wanderingdams.com. Uh uh
1: jeez Paul. Okay, so Paul, Paul's camera might have gotten stuck there right at the end. Uh, Wait, so really? can you not hear uh, me? Paul's back. Yeah, you were just stuck for like a oh. second or so.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let me let me let me uh, say again. If you prefer to listen to the show in audio only podcast format, you can do so. Those podcasts are available on our website at uh, If uh, Likewise, they can be found on other third-party carriers such as Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, all sorts of places. Uh, if you're listening to the show right now on one of those other sites, please take a moment to rate and review our show on that site if possible. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it
1: uh we really do and of course every week uh give a big thanks to our patrons who support our show here if you'd like to join them please visit patreon.com wandering vms and you'll see our different couple different tiers and discounts on merch and like paul said at the top of the show uh part of our favorite part of the week is the after chat that we hold live on our discord server and we'll be there in about 10 minutes to continue the conversation had a wonderful conversation with people that actually knew more about black letter law last week and so hopefully we'll get some more feedback of what's happened the next uh, th- this week here um and enormous thanks to justin alexander we really you have some of the best observations in uh, the gaming industry justin and our like i said to you b- before the show our patrons have asked for you to appear here in the past so i can't thank you enough for uh for joining us today It
2: was an absolute privilege to be here. Hopefully next time we do this, it will be uh, less about a world on fire and more about creating new worlds.
1: (laughs) Happy New Year, 2023! (laughs) 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 Don't forget, everybody, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, so we'll hope you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion.
0: We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.